This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Hello, 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 everyone. This is another amazing top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. And as that intro already said, I am your host, Tia. And I always say that I'm really excited for the shows that I have to do, but I am super excited for this one. But let me uh, take just a moment to introduce my amazing co-host for today's episode, Brittany. Welcome. What's up, what's up, what's up? I already got my coffee, so I'm ready. I'm definitely ready. Yes, coffee is a must when we are doing early morning episodes. But uh, so Brittany and I got together, what, about a month or so ago to do the top 10 uh, best favorite moments from American God season one. And now we are back to talk about American God season two. That's what, like, gets me is that that it feels like American Gods, like, the season two was going to last forever. That when you were like, oh, like, a month ago we got together, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's only, like, two months before the entire season was already done. Oh, well, you know, that's the unfortunate thing with these shows only being eight episodes long is because it goes by so quickly. Um, Yeah, no, definitely I wish that there was, more episodes, absolutely. Um, and now it will probably have to wait another year for the third season. Super upsetting. But before we get into our top 10 favorite moments from American Gods season two, I want to ask you, Brittany, what were your thoughts about this season and how did it compare to season one? I think, you know, Season one was fun because it's kind of like you had the setup of everything with Shadow Moon, you know, Laura dying, you know, and getting to know Sweeney, of course, which is always the best part. And kind of like, kind of like, it's kind of like when you're watching a Marvel movie and you're watching the origin story and you love it just because it's like setting everything up and kind of setting the backdrop. Well, I think like season two was more of like, okay, we're getting more into like the meat of the story getting a little more in-depth with the characters. So that's why it's like, I like that, but I, I can't really tell which season I liked more, but it's because it's like, I love Sweeney and Laura. So season two was definitely like, oh, yeah, but I also loved Laura and Sweeney, like, getting to know each other and absolutely hating each other. <laughs> yeah, as you know, Brittany, it really uh, grinded my gears when before <laughs> the <laughs> Before the season came out and you saw every single, uh, you know, news outlet only focus on the troubles that were happening in the background. And to me, I just didn't want to focus so much on that. I just wanted to focus on the show. And I really enjoyed season two, which made it really suck that there were so many outlets that were reviewing them. And and they only focused on the fact that uh, Brian Fuller, and Michael Green, who were the showrunners from season one, had left, and they were saying, oh, it doesn't feel like the same show, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I was completely fine with it not feeling completely like the same show. Uh, I loved season one, as you know, but season one 
wasn't really concentrating on a story so much. I felt like each episode was its own individual story, and it had all those coming to America beginnings, which was fine. You know, I read the book afterwards, and they did have a few coming to America scenes in them, but not nearly as much as were in the show. So I felt like they took away sometimes from the actual story of the episodes and we got away from that in season two. So I was completely fine with the new direction that the show decided to go into. Um, they had Jesse Alexander as a new showrunner for season two, uh, who is no longer with the series, but I still think that he did a pretty decent job with it. So I was satisfied with the second season. I have to say, I kind of think I liked it more than the first season. I will put that out there. Um, just because, as I said, it felt more uh, story-based and more focused on what the actual war was instead of simply introducing the characters, which is what is going to be the case always, as you said, Brittany. It's like a Marvel movie. We have to have the origin stories, and then in the sequels, we get to, like, the real uh, plot lines, pretty much, if you would agree or disagree with that. I would say I'd agree, and I was going to say with season two, I really liked it too because it's like, especially when it comes to Odin, because you're like sitting there and you're like, okay, you're not so bad in season one, and then season two comes in, and I'm like, oh, great, you're all awful, you're all awful. I did really like that in season two, and we'll talk about that a little later, but the most important thing was in episode two, by the way, I guess we should say that there are going to be spoilers in this uh, show, so if you haven't watched season two, prepare to be spoiled, but uh, in episode seven, Sweeney tells Shadow, you know, we're not the heroes, which is what you may have thought in season one that you should be on the side of the old gods because the new gods are the bad ones. But Sweeney uh, kind of just lays it out there and tells Shadow, no, we're not the good guys either. And I thought that that really uh, prevailed in season two, especially with Mr. Wednesday. I mean, again, we'll talk about that stuff later, but just his attitude in general. I mean, in season one, he was all about putting on a good face and making it seem like he was this uh, suave, sweet talker. And in season two, he became a little more, uh, I'm going to use your favorite word here, Brittany, vicious. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. I, I very much like that word, and I think it's perfect to describe how Odin was in season two. Exactly. So, you know what? Let's kick this right off, Brittany. I'm going to give you the number 10 slot. Give it to me. What is your pick? Uh, you know, I was going through and I was trying to sit there because, like, you always hate putting something at number 10 when you're like, oh, all these are great, but, like, what's the order? And I know this is probably going to be, like, more up there, but I kind of want to start with Laura killing Argus. Just because you have so many great little tidbits, like, right in it, it's like, yeah, you have, like, Odin telling Laura, like, yeah, go stab this guy in the tattoo on his neck. And she's like, okay, I I guess, if it's going to, you know, make me come back to life, really hope this works. Then you got Technical Boy staring at her like she's crazy, but then, then let's not all forget 
You have new media getting screwed by metal tentacles with weird-looking Argus with technical voyages utterly disgusted and sitting there looking at Laura like, you know what, never mind, you can have this, just just do it. And uh, the fact that technical boy is he's bringing new media away saying, uh, you know, he's like, I'm trying to remember what he, he tells Odin like, oh, like, he owes us one or like, oh, something like that. But them walking off and then actually you sit there and you're like, oh, no, Odin lied to Laura. She's not going to get her coin recharged. She's going to be decaying. You know, Sweeney was right about him. And then, no, lo and behold, she actually gets recharged and Odin's just staring at her like, I told you so. So I really enjoyed that scene, just not even just because she killed Argus, because you have so much stuff going on right around that time where you kind of like get punched in the feels. It was very reminiscent of the Vagina Nebula. So <laughs> I, <laughs> so it was very, um, was the word for it, it was very reminiscent. Uh, Good throwback. <laughs> Brittany, this was on my list as well. I had the Argus scene um so i'm really happy that you started this list off with that yes uh if we thought that bill Quist shoving people up her vag was going to be the craziest thing that american gods was going to do uh i guess maybe this is jesse alexander's uh decision he pretty much said hold my beer <laughs> and, <laughs> Um, I think what I said there, I was like, I think I told you that, that I was like, okay, you know, I was like, okay, metal tentacles, I was like, those are very phallic looking, and like, when she, I'm like, oh no, she's hitting on them, and then I was like, oh, it's it's wrapping on her leg, I was like, oh, they're not going here, because, you know, she's got like the schoolgirl outfit, like, hentai tentacle porn thing going on, I was like, no, 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 they're not. Yeah, I go in there and it's like creeping up, and I went, "Oh no, oh no!" <laughs> Didn't it feel a little like Black Widow and the Hulk in Age of Ultron, where she's like, "Hey, big guy," and when you meet, it's like, "Hey, big guy," I was like, "Oh no!" Oh, yes, <laughs> that was crazy. I was like, "Wow, they really went there." Um, and yes, I did love Laura slowly creeping on Argus, and at first, the temp- uh, the tech, oh my god, I was about to call him the tentacle boy, the technical boy. <laughs> the tentacle uh, boy. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Tech boy, as we uh, lovingly call him, tech boy, you know, is going to alert new media, because obviously Laura is not necessarily on the side of the old gods, but associated because of shadow and stuff like that. But when he sees that she has the knife in her hand and that her intentions are killing Argus, he's like, yeah, go ahead. So I love that. And I love that new media going, I wasn't done. And, and Tech Boy was like, yeah, you were done. And I think the line, Brittany, was him saying, was this, uh, you know, Wednesday, and he goes, tell the old fuck he's welcome. And he walks away with, uh, with new meeting. Um, and I felt so sorry for Laura in that moment when she got recharged because it was Wednesday. Like, as I said, he really didn't care about being charming this season. And he was very vicious to her. And the things that he said that, um, you know, 
Shadow doesn't love this woman anymore. Shadow loves the woman who tried to kill herself with bug spray. It was very demeaning of Laura. It's very much like, and Mr. Wednesday has made it obvious that he is so willing to throw Laura away, which is a little strange that he even decided to um, have her recharged, but I guess maybe he was doing that because if she was, then, Sorry, I feel like I have something caught in the back of my throat. But if he, you know, didn't have her recharged, then she would constantly be, like, hanging around Shadow. And he's like, here, I gave you what you wanted, and clearly it wasn't love that brought you back. It was, you know, this, so, you know, stay away from my boy, pretty much, is what it was. Uh, yeah, so definitely that whole entire scene. It's not just Laura killing Argus. There's a bunch of different factors hopping around, and I really think this is a fantastic way to start this list. Okay, okay. I was going to say, really quick, what gets me about, like, Odin and Laura, like, it's kind of like you have the charmer and the girl, and it's like, I, I know it's like a weird parallel to draw with it, but it kind of reminds me, like, when, of like, when a man uses a woman, like especially like sexually, where it's like, oh, I'm I'm a charmer, I'm a good guy, and then like the moment they get what they want, they throw them away. And I was like, and that whole time with Odin and Laura was exactly what it was reminding me of. I'm sorry, I have the cat like clawing at me, wanting my love, and I'm like, Jeez, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> Yep, uh, as you know, I have pets, and frequently my dog happens to bark whenever I'm doing one of these podcasts. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll hear from her very soon. But, uh, Brittany, great way to start this this list off. I'm going to take the number nine spot, and I'm actually going to pick – so this is kind of like our favorite moments, right? And this is going to be a little bit of a weird moment for me to pick as my favorite, but I really just like the way that it was shot. Um, and I'm going to do the uh, shootout scene at the diner in the first episode. Because, oh, I like that. Well, first of all, if you think about kind of everything leading up to it, you have Bill Quist, who is, you know, hanging around the old gods, but clearly she's still, you know, somewhat beholden to the new gods. So she leads them to she leads the new gods to the old gods to the to the diner, right? And then you see her walking away, you see that Tech Boy and Mr. World are looking at the the map and then you see then you slowly see the gun being cocked ready to shoot and then you see the laser kind of scanning the diner. And then with the background music and how it really kind of elicited uh, a chaotic feeling because all the old gods were having fun up to this point. They were all laughing, they're eating, they're drinking, and all of a sudden, just one by one, uh, they start getting shot at. And you have the little moments like Sweeney uh, underneath the bar counter drinking as they're being shot at or him even slipping and falling right before he's about to get shot and Laura gets shot in the shoulder. Or you even have Shadow protecting Laura, which is like, you know, Laura's already dead. She can kind of defend herself. Um, but And then I especially love, like, the little close-up of the bullet 
or the shell casing, I should say. I forget what it says, but it's Latin for God of Death. So I just love that little uh, nuance that they kept within the whole American God trope. I'm sorry? I said I didn't think I caught that. So I was like, now you're teaching me something new. (laughs) Well, so we find out that it's uh, Mr. Town who was the one who shot up the diner. And if you see, he's using, obviously, an assault rifle. And as one of the shell casings flies out of the gun, it says something on it. And, again, I forget what it says, but it is Latin. And if you look it up, it stands for God of Death. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, And I just really liked the way that that whole thing was shown. I thought it was a good way to end the first episode. And then we obviously have Shadow run out to try to attack Mr. Town. But then obviously that was kind of, uh, I feel like, staged to draw Shadow out so that they could kidnap him and interrogate him. And then obviously then we find out that the uh, biggest uh, fatality in that moment was – uh, Zoraya Bernishnaya, I think it's her <laughs> Somebody's going to hear you say that and just be like, God, she really, she really so butchered that. <laughs> Zoraya Bernishnaya or something. Uh, but yes, we find out that she was killed and Wednesday is obviously upset. Chernabog is upset and then Chernabog obviously curses out uh, whoever did this. And, yeah, so I'm going to pick number nine as the diner shootout scene. Brittany, can you tell me what you think about my number nine pick? I would say I really do love that scene. I wanted to go, absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> but... <Do> you want? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. But uh, I was thinking, uh, no, I love it because it is kind of like, Right beforehand, like you said, everybody's so happy. You even have Chernabog, who's, like, very good-spirited. Still, like, you know, I still want to bash your brains in Shadow Moon. But uh, I do love where it's, like, you you sit there the whole time and Shadow's like, oh, I don't love her anymore, basically. Doesn't want anything to do with her. But then again, he's throwing his body over her body, which she's already dead. So what does it matter if she gets shot up anyway? But I do love when uh, Sweeney, like, you're like, oh, his luck is bad. Or is his luck good? You know, when he slips on the blood, you could say, oh, it's bad luck he fell. But it was also good luck that he avoided the shot. So was it trying to show that, hey, when he's around Laura, he is more lucky? Or was it that he really just has awful luck now? But as we saw in later seasons, like later on in the season, he has worse luck the further he gets away from her. And he was pretty close. So there is that. But uh, I was really sad about Zariah. Like, oh, no, I love old people. (laughs) And she was very old and very sweet, but also angry. I don't know. Like, she was very very hot and cold. But at least she loved Odin. And I just, like, what did she say right before she died? Like, because she said that she's like, I don't wish to go. And she, like, looked at somebody and said, you're a very something man. She said, uh, you, she said to Wednesday, she goes, you are a very bad, good man. I do not wish to say goodbye. Oh, so sad. But, no, I do love that scene because it is, like, it was very well shot because you do have, like, everybody's just happy, like you said, and everything's good. 
then suddenly bullets are flying, which Mr. Wolf was terrifying in that scene where he's just sitting there, just waiting for it to happen with his Joker, his scary ass Joker smile <laughs> going on. And I am like, can you please play the Joker? You would be beautiful. <laughs> I'm telling you, if they ever need an older Joker for, say, like a Batman Beyond type of movie, Crispin Glover would be the perfect older Joker. Um, The thing about Zariah, really quick, because I told you I read the book, um, like, halfway through season two, and it definitely gave a lot more insight. Zariah doesn't die in the book. That diner shootout scene never occurs in the book. So it was specifically just shot for the series, which I have no problem with. Like, that's the thing. People get pissed off because something doesn't follow either the book or the comics. And I'm like, they have to make it a little different. I have no problem with, like, creative twists pretty much, you know? Um, so to me, I didn't mind, especially after reading the book, that they decided to put something completely new because if they followed the book, uh, most of you and I's favorite characters would already have been dead a while ago. Poor Sweeney. He deserves better. Uh, he deserves better, Tia. <laughs> we will talk about that at some other point in the show. <laughs> I know, I know. And I was sitting there, so it's sort of like I was sitting there looking at my list real quick, like, oh no, what, oh, it's like number eight. What fits in here? What, you know, I want to do something fun, something serious, but I think I'm ready. Well, well now that it's your turn, let's hear what the number eight is. I'm going to go with Technical Boy Watching Columbia perform. And I love oh. that scene. I I say I love that scene. I know it seems like oh such a small scene, but it's like Technical Boy is such an asshole through the entire series, and you're like oh it's Telephone Boy, and you're like oh, okay you know, and which I'm sure that scene may come up later and everything between him and Odin, but it was very telling like where he's very like he's he's funny into talking to those girls that got seated with them. He's like just like in awe because he's like not impressed with any of the old gods. There's nobody he's seeing like, oh, that we can rework. No talent that he's seeing like, uh, it's very, it was very like old Hollywood, like, we're going to make you a star. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, and the whole, what did she throw at him? Was it the bra? Yeah, it was like the, no, it was her hat. Oh, it was the, I thought it was like for some reason like the top, and I think it was because he talked about her breast later on. But uh, I love that scene because it does lead into where they are talking about reworking her. And I think we talked about it because at first it's like Columbia, Columbia, and they're talking about Statue of Liberty. And then you realize, oh, she really is like the personification of like, you know, the United States. The you know, and when she's talking about Manifest Destiny. And I don't know, I love this thing because it is like he's just staring, but then also like telling him like, oh, we can make you something new, you know, we can make you better. We can basically make sure that you don't go extinct because nobody believes about you anymore because they are they think you're one and the same with Statue of Liberty and you're basically old news. Oh, no, I, I just really like it. 
I have to completely give credit to Brittany because I had absolutely no idea who Miss Columbia was when they first, you know, came out with this episode and they were talking about her and it's clear that she's a deity, but I had no idea what. And then you were the one who uh, discovered it. Essentially, Miss Columbia was the personification of Manifest Destiny and, and the American spirit. Uh, but as soon as the Statue of Liberty kind of came over, people really started shifting their focus onto her. And uh, pretty much I view it as Miss Columbia was like the female version of Uncle Sam. Very red, white, and blue. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yes. But I was so excited for Telephone Boy. When I heard that rumor that they were going to include previous incarnations of Technical Boy, I was like, I'm all for this. And when that, first of all, I have to say that Donar the Great, uh, episode six, has to be one of my favorite episodes of the season. I love this whole odd, uh, wow, well, odd. Uh, this old vaudeville type of feel. And as you said, Telephone Boy is there. And he's so unimpressed with Odin and the performances. As soon as Columbia gets on stage, he is fascinated, right? He gets up, he's clapping, he's cheering. He's like so excited that she oh, like, you have a soul. <laughs> I know, I know. I loved it. And um. Yeah, as you said, uh, his interactions with Odin where, uh, you know, he goes, your girls are cheap, your bubbly's flat. <laughs> um, like, <this> whole thing. <laughs> and when uh, Wednesday, who is going by Al at this point, which someone pointed out, it's Al because all father. So yeah. Uh, but he pushes the telephone over to Telephone Boy, and he goes, what are you going to do when people no longer use this? And he goes, oh, no, no, my bell is going to be here forever. And I'm like, mm, I guess technically we still use phones, but not in that sense, but still very cool. Uh, and then, yeah, Telephone Boy giving Columbia pretty much the opportunity to reinvent herself as Rosie the Riveter that we find out later in the war, which is obviously World War II. Um, yeah, I, I love that. And someone pointed out, not to get a little too off track, but someone pointed out that uh, this, you know, because I'm sure that when this episode first came out, people were like, oh, why are they including Nazis? And why are like the All Father and stuff like, actually giving them the time of day. But it's like, if you look, the Nazis did use a lot of Norse uh, symbolism and shit, you know, to push their own message. So I like that they kind of touched upon that, essentially. So, yeah, I, I love the whole entire episode. I loved uh, Telephone Boy uh, just being completely enamored with Columbia. Um, yeah, and I thought he looked great in those suits. So I was like, oh, I love Telephone Boy. Can, I was like, can we, like, revisit him at some point? Like, so cute. But, yeah, that's a great scene uh, to kind of put in. As you said, it's small, but really telling to the character, especially after episode four when Technical Boy was, quote, unquote, retired and you thought maybe you weren't going to see him again. And to kind of get an insight uh, for a former uh, version was really cool. I have to tell you, Brittany, really quick, going off topic a little, and I feel like this is what you and I do whenever we talk about American Gods. Um, oh, basis does. Let's do it. Just, just, just <laughs> say it, girl. 
But uh, the guy who kind of was, like, in charge of the special effects team for American Gods um, posted a lot of behind-the-scenes pictures on his Instagram. And uh, there is one incarnation of Technical Boy that we were going to get, and they did the makeup, but we never saw on screen. Do you want to know what it was? I was going to say, I think I saw you post it, but I want to hear you say it. Uh, it was supposed to be a more book-accurate version of Technical Boy, which, as you know, was supposed to be a heavier set person uh, to kind of really tell about the early 2000s, late 90s guys who were hackers living in their mom's basements and shit. So pretty much they put a fat suit on Bruce Langley, and uh, we're going to shoot a scene with that. And but they just never did it. Well, I think they did shoot the scene because then I saw in this video him like jumping up on something. So maybe they did shoot the scene, but then they decided not to include it in the actual show. So I'm really interested to see if we're ever going to see a deleted scene with that. I did see that because I was like, oh my gosh, they nearly did it. And I'm like watching them put like the double chin on him, which like at that point it looked like a triple chin. And I was like, <laughs> Going on. And you know, I always wish they had done it, like especially as a stark contrast to telephone board, because it is like where you see them is like kind of put together. But it's like, I think it's like, I don't know, it, it kind of brought me back to high school seeing it, where it was like, those were the people I hung out with. Very like, I'm very edgy, and I'm very like, I can hack anything, even though they're probably like just like randomly getting permissions to do something with a computer, you know what I mean? Where it wasn't even like, yeah. oh, you're a hacker. But it was like, that's very accurate. I, 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 you and with both of us being born in the 90s, and even though you were earlier 90s, even though I, I, I witnessed it, and I'm like, there, there's truth in the, what's this called? What's this thing? Uh, oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I completely agree. I literally was born in 1990, and those were definitely the type of individuals who were very computer savvy. So uh, when I heard about what the book version was, I was like, yeah, that completely sounds like it. I just think it would have been hilarious if we could have actually seen that scene, and I really hope that they released um the deleted scenes, and we can see uh, a past, maybe 90s, early 2000s incarnation of Technical Boy. Uh, <laughs> I just think it's so oh, funny. I'm like, season three. Yeah. I'm like, poor Bruce Langley. I'm like, how long did that take to sit in the chair for that makeup and just not use the scene? You know what I'm saying? And I was going to say, Bruce Langley, I think, had like some of the most, like, if you think about it, he probably had to stay in the chair more than anybody else because, yeah, Odin looks good. Mr. Nancy looks good. But he's having, like, these crazy braids in his hair, these crazy outfits, and I'm just like, you were very spoiled. Very. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about how long it should take, like, some of that stuff to actually become what it is. I'm like, holy shit. Like, to me, I'm just like, I would be like, can I get up, please? I just need to, like, not sit anymore. My ass hurts. 
most guys I would like looking at it with, you know, it's like, as we know, it's like I went to cosmetology and I'm sitting there looking at those braids and the way his hair is perfectly slicked back. And I'm like, I do not envy the person that had to do all of that, even though they probably love their job and all that. But I was just sitting there looking at it like, that's so much work. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God, it's so much work. Um, but, you know, that's it'll be interesting to see what kind of outfits we see for Technical Boy in Season 3, considering uh, where they took Technical Boy's story at the end of Season 2. So we shall, we shall see. Um, but, uh, Brittany, do you have anything else you want to say about your pick before we move on? No, I'm ready to hear you, girl. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm gonna pick a scene that I had, I think, told you early on, like while we were watching the show, where I was like, I really love this scene. Can you guess it? I was like, it's gonna be really obscure, and you're like, well, I can guess it. And you did. You guessed it perfectly. Um, so it's going to be the for my number seven pick. It's going to be the dwarf. Uh, Doblin, I want to say is how you say his name. Uh, do not, I'm, I'm really just batting a thousand this show, but whatever. Uh, it's going to be the dwarf Doblin repairing Gungnir because I don't know why I love that scene so much, just the whole setup to it. I love the fact that shows like American Gods and Doom Patrol, which is another favorite of mine, are not afraid to give homage to great rock and roll legends because in Doom Patrol, there's a scene where they need a really powerful relic and they use dental floss and the guys like dental floss and they're like Janis Joplin's dental floss, the most powerful item that you can get. And in this, it's, oh, Lou Reed's leather jacket. Um, And so they get Lou Reed's leather jacket uh, with a hilarious con and they give it to Doblin and he, first of all, Doblin looks so, like, just, he just looks, like, so relieved to, like, have the leather jacket on him. And he's like, yes. And you have, like, the epic music playing. And then he gets up and he's, you know, saying these incantations over Gungnir, which is, you know, broken up, which we see in that episode, why Gungnir, uh, Odin's spear, is broken to begin with. But he's saying his incantations and just, I love that you even, he had like tattoos on his knuckles and you see those kind of glowing as he's just really like getting into it. And then you see the runes on the spear just all of a sudden rejuvenated pretty much. And it's ready because the whole problem was when Odin took the spear to the other dwarf, which I forget his name, but he proclaimed himself the tallest, the tallest dwarf in America. Uh, but when he took him, but when he took him there, he said, "There's nothing wrong with the actual physical. It's your problem is with the runes. So you have to go to Doblin, and Doblin does that, and it's ready. And it's such a small scene, but I really wanted to include it because I think I searched for the gift for that a thousand times, and I even tried to make it myself because I love that scene so much. And just that whole them getting the leather jacket to begin with because 
that freaking bishop con that they did where he's like oh where the like think about it the poor store attendant is like oh man like a bishop really wants a leather jacket by Lou Reed this is awesome and then shadow walks in pretending to be some sort of fed and is like oh you served your country well we're gonna take this guy because he is a con man and I just love that whole thing so um, I'm going to stop talking now. And, Brittany, if you want to tell me what you thought about uh, my pick for number seven. I was gonna say, I do love it because I was thinking about the, the store. Uh, what did you call him? Store clerk? I don't uh, Basically, the guy's selling the jacket. I love when he goes, when Shadow's like, oh, you served your country well. And he's just basically, like, straightens up a little bit, shoulders a little bit back. And, you know, you poor sorry asshole. You, like, don't even realize. <laughs> but, no, I, I, it was the moment he was like, you like, I bet you can't guess. I was like, I bet I can. Because I was thinking, I was like, Tia loves, you know, 80s rock. She's basically my <laughs> mother's child. Your own mother's child. But my mom is obsessed with 80s rock. And it was very, like, reminiscent. Because, uh, in the words of my mom, what was that? Was it? <sighs> Springfield. What's his first name? Oh. Who? Lou Reed? Oh, no. I was thinking of, like, how my mom used to say, I just wanted to be Jesse's girl. But, um, whatever song that was. But, uh, no, I love it. It was a good throwback to, like, it's like, oh, it's the most powerful artifact that, you know, is here. And, and Oven is just so salty about, like, I'm not using my money on a, on a, on dwarves. And uh, just going and and Shadow's just like just buy it and he's like no and he's like and Shadow's just sitting there like Jesus Christ I really really don't want to do this you're putting me through a lot of bull crap right now but uh, I I do love the bishop scene I love how he's like and even Odin says it himself he's like I don't know how it would play with the modern crowd but you know it was really good but. Uh, I do love when the dwarf. I'm trying to think of what his name. I, I I can't pronounce it. Is it Godwin? Which dwarf? The one who repaired the gun. Yeah, the one that repaired it. Doblin. It's D V A L I N. So I am going to pronounce it. Devalin, maybe I'm pronouncing it. Oh my god. We're butchering it, Tia. We're butchering it. But I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, uh, no, I do love like like in the moment it touches his shoulders, like he doesn't even know what it is basically yet. He's just like <gasps> like just like that breath he takes to me just slowly touching it. And it was like, Oh no. Oh yes. But uh, I know, like when he's like repairing the runes and like the dirt almost is coming off of it. I wouldn't know what to call it. Like it's just basically like it restoring it to its like previous glory. And Odin, not like how the whole time I was just looking at it like this is my life now. This, this is what <laughs> happens when we're dealing with dwarves, you know, fixing runes and shit. I guess this, oh, yeah. this is normal now. <laughs> Yeah, poor Shadow definitely is being put through the ringer with all the strangeness that keeps going on. So 
foreshadow. But um, what are we going to do? So, Brittany, we're going to go back to you for your number six spot. Let me let me look. I, can I like sit there and I look at them. I'm like, what order? What order? Uh, I'm gonna go with when Sweeney gets separated from Laura and starts getting awful, awful luck. Is where I'm gonna go with it next because how telling it is. Because so we have Laura and Sweeney. Whenever uh, when Odin convinces Laura, like, hey. If you come with me, your coin will recharge. And Sweeney's like, no, no, it's not going to happen. You know, I'm going to go to New Orleans, and I'm going to go, we're going to go talk to the devil, basically, and <laughs> we're going to get it fixed. And he's like, basically, like, when you realize that I'm right, come meet me. And you're like, okay, good. You know, Sweeney's doing his thing, and you think, oh, you're not going to see him until New Orleans. And you sit there, and it's like, he tries to get on the boat. The, not only does the motor fall off, but no, it catches on fire first. Then right. falls off. And then he's just like going through it. And then you have like, oh, he's walking. You're like, there's nothing bad that can happen by just walking. Look, he even got picked up on the way. And when you sit there, it was like some like new age Christian band. And they're like, pray oh, no. with us. And Sweeney's just sitting there like, oh, I didn't even say anything yet. Like, you think at first, like, here, insult them, you know, do something, but it's almost like he's so overcome with just, like, being so over it that he's just like, you know what, this is good. This is my life now. Just please. Which, which, by the way, it's like, did he travel all the way to New Orleans with, like, them? Like, why were they going there? Were they like, yeah, what, New Orleans? Because, he to Jesus. because they were spreading the word of the Lord in this heathenistic town. <laughs> oh, you know what? That's probably true. But I don't know. It's like, I know there's, like, such small scenes, I'll say, but it's just, like, how much character it adds to it. Like, yeah, there's some big scenes, like, like you know, there's ones on my list for them that are, like, much bigger. But it's almost like I like those little telltale signs. Like, when you're realizing, yeah, his luck, because you see a little bit of it in season one with his bad luck, like, like the gun, like, exploding the glass in his face or the guy getting impaled with, like, a pole as they're driving. But, you know, he's been with Laura this whole time. So you're like, okay, you know, I thought you had bad luck, but I guess it's, like, you know, much less. So when you see, like, the moment that he leaves Laura, that it's just going really downhill really fast, you're like, <laughs> oh, this could have been way worse for him. I'm, survived. I'm surprised he survived getting there. No, I loved it because... So not only does he slip in a boat that ends up catching on fire, but I believe that one once he stole a car, there was a pit bull in the back that obviously. Oh, I forgot that scene. (laughs) (laughs) And then he like it pretty much falls in the middle of the road, and it's like you know tour bus stops and. You know, at first, like, oh, it's great, all these guys, like, save him. And then the guy hugs him, and he's like, have you accepted Jesus Christ in your life? And he's like, oh, God, one of you. And you see, like, I don't know if you noticed, but 
as the uh, bus was driving away, they played like some Christian rock, like I only, you know, something, something the Lord or something like that. And you're like, you know, that Sweeney must be wanting to like kill himself at this point, but he's like, all right, whatever, you know, okay. I guess that this is the way that I'm going to get to New Orleans. Um, And I feel that actually, now that you said that, makes me wonder if that's why he was all pissed off when he gets to New Orleans and he's, like, pretty much yelling at the statue of Jesus. He's like, oh, you think you're better than me, you little fuckhead, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, is it because he had to listen to Christian rock the whole entire time to New Orleans? You know, that's a fair point. Maybe that's why he got so drunk. Because he got there because he's just sitting there like, you know what? I've been through a lot of bull crap. Like one thing after another. How much bad luck can I have drinking? But then, you know, Laura comes back, and that's a good and bad thing all on its own. <laughs> no, it's like we really see that when he is away from his lucky coins, that he has the most awful luck uh, on the face of the planet. I am actually very surprised that he even made it to New Orleans in the first place. So. Uh, yeah, I love the little scenes in American Gods, you know, like obviously there were so many big scenes that are easy to speak about, but I feel like you and I, Brittany, you know, we're such fans of this show, and in general, when we watch things, we always tend to pick up the little things, and I really appreciate that, because uh, not to get into it, but I feel like when you have these articles that really are bashing the show, saying that it's not uh, the way it was, um, I feel like that's just because they're focusing on bigger things, pretty much, and they're not looking at little uh, tidbits. It's the same people who sat there and are you know, bashing, and not everyone is. That's probably a small percentage with those who don't like Avengers Endgame because it's not Avengers Infinity War. And it's like people nowadays cannot stand any sort of, like, downtime where they're storytelling. It's like people's attentions are so short that they have to have constant stimulation in order to even survive. And so it's like when you have these little scenes in shows like American Gods, People, oh, it's being ruined, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's telling the story. Like, calm down. We'll get to the other stuff. But you need this as well. So you need these little moments where we obviously see how bad Sweeney's luck is without Laura because it would be easy for him to just say, oh, my luck is uh, terrible, but you need to show it. It's show, not tell. You know, this is not show and tell. This is show, not tell. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to go off on a tangent there. <laughs> no, you're good. I was gonna say, like, that gets me about Avengers, like, non-spoiler, but it's like it was action-packed the entire time. Even the storytelling was like full of like I was intrigued. I was never bored. Did not feel like three hours. And so when people say that, I'm like, you, you're never gonna be happy. It's okay, baby. <laughs> Let me pat your head. Oh, my God, I think it's one of those things people are never going to be happy, and it's funny because um, I don't know if you know Brittany, but we have this guy, Mike, who, uh, you know, is contributing to Geek Vibes Nation now. Um, he actually has a fantastic channel, uh, Geek Media Corp, that he does in affiliation with GVN. Um, and he says that all the time. He's like, you can't make people happy. People are never going to be happy. Um 
I personally saw Avengers Endgame twice and loved it. And actually, yesterday, Kelly texted me saying that she saw Endgame the second time. And she's like, it was just as good as the first time. And I'm like, yes, there you go. So, people... STFU. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it's like, it does for it's like, I feel like when people are like, oh, it was boring. This and that. I'm like, I feel like I need to watch it a second time just to fully take in everything that happened because there was so much going on. And it was three hours. Three hours. And I'm still sitting there like, I need to see it again to like fully observe and absorb. Yeah, I just never understood that. I think people just focus on certain things and can't let them go. Um, Even like, so American guys got renewed for a third season and they actually do have a showrunner uh, who shit, I forget his name right now, but I think his nickname is like chick or something. Uh, But he did work on the walking dead. So first of all, that's really cool. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, what the tone is of the third season, not only now because we have a different showrunner, but because of the tone maybe uh, from what happened at the end of season two. So that's going to be interesting. But I cannot wait to see the people who are, like, complaining and bitching about season three because, honestly, to me, it feels like these outlets that bitch about American Gods aren't even real fans. They just, you know, got the screeners app. And we're told to write reviews on it without really having ever even watched the first season, and they judge it for that. So that was my number one frustrating thing, Brittany. I, like, I went online to see people's reactions after every episode, and fans' reactions were great. But then, you know, and I'm not going to call out outlets, but you would see all these, you know, article writing outlets. I keep saying that word, but they would just keep focusing on the fact that there was disarray happening behind the scenes. I'm like, okay, but what did you think about the actual episode? And you never got that. I think it's because people just want to like, oh, I just got it, you know, where they're like (sighs) trying to make it interesting because what, what gets me is when you have these random media people just like, trying to do an article on a show they don't even care about. They don't. They're just trying to write something about, like, a show coming up so that they can get more of a publicity and get more of, like, a viewer count for it. And, you know, it's kind of like trouble sells, you know. But uh, it's kind of like what people don't understand about these shows is that even though there's some things that people wouldn't much care for, it's kind of like – Say you have a friend and you love them, but you at first somebody be like, oh, they're an okay person, but because you love them so much that you're more willing to overlook things because, oh, they just mean so much to you. That's kind of like fans with their shows. It's like, yeah, something wasn't perfect, but, you know, X, Y, and Z was great and the storytelling was great. So when you have a non-fan doing it and they're just looking at it like, oh, this is just a piece of crap, you know, this is, you know, they don't care about it. They don't care about all the little parts. They don't care about the little scenes like we do where it's like with Sweeney. It's like they just care about, well, how do we make this interesting about a show we don't even care about or don't even watch or not even fans of, you know? They try to just look at it like, oh, we're so smart. Look how suave we are <laughs> with, that, with our, like, super keen eye our word is law about the show and it's like no 
No, because you never got into it because of, like, just being interested to it. You just did it for so you could write about it. That's kind of like people who don't watch Game of Thrones, and they're like, I don't watch Game of Thrones. It's like, good for you. Like, and someone put out a meme that's like, uh, uh, not liking things that are popular doesn't make you interesting. <laughs> and that's how I feel every time someone's like, I don't like Game of Thrones. It's like, okay, good for you. I mean, I only started watching it like two years ago, but I didn't feel a need to you know, bash everyone who was watching it at the time just because I didn't happen to watch it. So I feel like that's that is it. I love that you said that like, oh, you know, disliking something doesn't make you interesting, just to let you know. But <laughs> I was going to say, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say the last thing was it reminds me of that Jurassic Park meme where they're like, this guy doesn't like Game of Thrones. This guy doesn't like Game of Thrones. He's like, see, no one cares. <laughs> That's exactly how it, oh, my God. I want to make that meme for American Gods. Like, these, these people don't like American Gods season two. See, no one cares. I'm going to do that. I'm going to find a way yeah. to make that meme. Um, but great conversation, Brittany, here. I am going to take over the number five pick. And again, it's another small little theme. Um, I do have bigger ones after this, you know, as we get into like now the second half of. Uh, this show, but I have to uh, put it down because it really, it really surprised me in a good way. You know, it was a very touching scene, and it's uh, a Nancy and Donar. I love that little scene because, you know, we see a Nancy, and he was very um, uh, sweet with Dilquist, but besides that, we've always seen him as very animated. Uh, He curses, he you know, insults. I mean, the insults that he throws at Shadow is absolutely hilarious. I mean, he does not stop with him. You know, and he's very rough around the edges, I guess you would say. Um, Even earlier in that episode, remember, as he's walking around, he's like, whose shoes are these? Whose shoes? He's like, (laughs) you know, I'm not your goddamn babysitter or something like that. I mean, he was hilarious in it. I loved it. I'm like, I wanted him to scream at more people. Uh, But, you know, you know, that's how Nancy is. I mean, his famous tagline is angry is good. Angry gets shit done. So when you have this, like, moment that's really just so sincere, because I, I did not get any sort of sense that he was being facetious or he was just uh, saying shit or whatever. I felt like he was being very sincere with Donar because at the time, Donar, which was as, uh, Mr. Wednesday says the Germaic word for Thor, uh, as Donar is conflicted over what's happening because now he's competing in these competitions that the Nazis are in, have enlisted him for, and he's realizing that he's not really getting any of the worship he's being used, and now he, I think he's seeing that uh, obviously this political party is turning into a very evil party, which in history we actually see, um, and still see to this day, but um, you know, he's very conflicted, he doesn't know what to do, and but he's kind of doing it because he has a bit of an agreement with his father, Odin, and obviously Odin is very happy with all the pseudo-worship that they're getting, 
And then Nancy tells him that he needs to stop giving away his worship, that he's doing all of this not for himself but for his father. And I love that he said to him, and I, and I love when he says to him, you're not like everyone else. You know, you're beautiful. And I think that was saying, you know, all the old gods are kind of selfish and they do things for themselves and they kind of manipulate and do false promises to just get worship. But Donar doesn't do any of that. He is just sincere and just um, genuinely, I guess, a good person. And Nancy sees that and he's telling him that he's not like all the other old gods. Um, and that's what's like the saddest part about it. And again, just that little, like he touches Donar's cheek and he just says, you are beautiful. And I love that. And you then get that moment where Columbia comes and she calls out for Donar and Donar's walking away, but then Donar looks over his shoulder at a Nancy, which I believe is probably the last time they ever saw each other. And I would love to know what current day a Nancy feels about it, because we obviously got Wednesday talking about his son briefly. Um, but I would love to see after that little interaction, there's clearly a bond between the two, what Mr. Nancy thinks after all these years of Donar's death. But I have to put number five as that. I have to shed light on it because it really was a surprising moment in the Nancy's development. Um, Brittany, what did you think about their small interaction with each other? I was going to say that was actually on my list too, so I'm very <laughs> No, I love it because, uh, like, and as I, I said, I loved everything, apparently. But, um, no, and, too, we get Nancy talking about, like, his upbringing, about, like, his regrets, things that he's done. And you see it's very, like, it's very sad for Nancy. He's very, like, very vulnerable in that moment, talking about, like, how he was born into a time when it was only a place really for female goddesses, like, you know, female gods, but he, and talking about how he was just like, even though he was loved and, you know, the head goddess loved him, you know, and that's telling of how they talk about in his culture, women were the, like, basically the head of it. And that's why, you know, one, he's very much like, you got to get yourself a queen. And you're like, <laughs> oh, but in talking about, like, his regrets, how he ended up basically having all of them hurt and just because of his own selfish desires and realizing, like, I can never go home, basically, and just trying to share that with Donar. And it's, like, basically telling him, hey, the best way to win this game is to not play. Because at first I was very confused. I was like, is he telling him to compete and just go ahead and go through with it? What's he telling him? And it's like, no, he's telling him to leave. Which is telling, too, because if uh, Mr. Well, I, I get to remember calling him a Nancy or Mr. Nancy. Either one is good. It's telling because, you know, one, he's got to be getting a lot of this, too, because he's like, oh, I get, like, 20% of your worship. 20 or 30, yeah. I can't remember. And it's like, he's probably benefiting from this, too, but he doesn't want to, even though it's like making him better. And, and you know, even though he's like, he's got the book later on that we all know, because I know you have that book of an MC. <laughs> but I do. It, I do. <laughs> you do. And so, I don't know. It's just very like, it was a very good moment when 
Mr. Nancy is very portrayed as very gruff and angry, and we love it. We do. And But, you know, and even how powerful the slave ship scene was. And it was, like, nice to see a very soft, vulnerable moment with him, with him just, like, touching his cheek. And it's, like, very, it's very brotherly. And I was like, oh, it's tearing my heart. And just seeing the hurt in Donar's face of, like, what is he supposed to do? Because at first when I was seeing the, like, previews, I was like, oh, they're coming to get you, Tia. I know, always. (laughs) No, I was like, the joys of living in New York. (laughs) But, um, no, because it's just, it was sad for him. Because, like, when I watched it, I thought Thor Donar was going to be, like, basically like an asshole very cocky and it's like no he's just soft he just wanted to be with the woman he loved and I'm just like my heart is breaking Tia well I think that almost the message was that people like Donar who are very sweet don't really survive in this kind of war pretty much but um yeah I mean we don't see a Nancy quote-unquote soft with anyone other than Bill Quist. And while I do think that he genuinely, you know, uh, admires Bill Quist, there's obviously a romantic uh, aspect to it. We see that. Um, and there's none of that really with Donar. It's just a genuine platonic, although I'm sure that some people could argue against that. So if you're, if you're out there feeling that way, I do not discredit you at all. You can write your fan fictions on it. I'm not going to say anything. But... Uh, <laughs> But I'm going to call it platonic for this space. But, yeah, to see him in a platonic fashion being so caring towards another person was really just very refreshing, very telling of Nancy. And she said, I love the backstory that he explains um, because you don't expect him to say something like that considering how much he – worship still quiz how much he seems to admire women in general because we do have that scene where you know he's speaking with uh mr ibis and bill quiz and saying you know this uh sweet soul and he's referring to uh, a deceased woman on the table so to see him to hear him have a story pretty much saying how he caused such uh problems you know and distress for the women in his village, you know, obviously shows how much regrets that he has over that. And I think that that scene is just both of them having regrets. So I loved it. Um, I'm really sad that we don't get to see a lot of Donar um, after that. I mean, if they want to revisit the 1930s in season three, you are not going to hear any complaints coming from me. Uh, I, I would love that. But yeah. So number five is going to be the Donar and Anansi interaction. While it seems like the police are coming for me, Brittany, why don't you take this before? <laughs> They're burning down Yonkers. Uh, but, yeah, so, Brittany, if you want to take uh, the number four slot and let us know. I'm going to say, I know this is probably on your list, but I'm taking it. Um, the um, The – telling the story of Technical Boy and the CEO, which I don't think we ever get his name, but just, like, um, you know, it starts with... Were you just a, sorry. I In the final episode, I think they did say it was uh, Mr. 
Z. It's like X I E. So again, I'm so bad at pronunciations. Please, people, don't think that I'm doing this on purpose. They're coming for you. Uh, I do believe that his name was like Mr. Z or something. But go ahead. I love this, so please tell me. <laughs> I love it because it's like you have the boy growing up, and you know he was like a prodigy with the piano, and it was like going back through and it's like but technology was what he loved and for him like you know for his dad was basically what you're saying like oh that his form of worship was basically for art music and it's like the boy's like finding his own way and whenever he's like whenever I guess it's powerful when the boy's like playing the piano and his dad's like oh thank god he came back to the piano he's playing it and he's like, you wrote this. And he's like, no, you know, I made a program that wrote it. And his dad's just so disappointed. And and uh, I'm trying to think. I'm almost getting a little flustered. But what he's like at the funeral and technical boys starts playing at the piano. And it's that same song that the CEO, like, com- like had the program run for him and that, like, taught him. And you start realizing this guy has a lot of, reason for an advancement for technical boy for tech boy you know it's like it it goes very much into where you're saying where it's like oh we're made in your image and it's like everything that a human comes up with or a human idea comes up for these gods it becomes part of their being and even though they look down on humans they are the reason they are what they are so whenever like technical boy is like you know, his friend, and this whole time with Technical Boy, we don't really hear him talk about having friends. He's very, like, almost a lone wolf type. He just doesn't want to get made obsolete by Mr. World. So when he's sitting there and he comes to the CEO at the desk because, you know, he can't mess up again with Mr. World, and he's like, oh, my friend. And, you know, the CEO's like, oh, my friend. But then suddenly he's not paying attention to Technical Boy. He's paying attention to new media. He can't even seem to hear Technical Boy. And just, like, the hurt on his face as he's looking at him and says that kind of, like, oh, friend. You know, it it gets me right in the heart. And Mr. World was so savage. And you're just, like, Technical Boy is realizing, oh, shit, they're about to make me obsolete. And just the running, the panic of it. And ultimately getting caught. <laughs> but uh, I know there's so much to say with that scene, though, so I was getting a little flustered trying to, like, explain <laughs> it all, because there is so much to it. Like, you know, the backstory of Technical Boy and this guy, and it was like, oh, Technical Boy has a friend. And it's like, oh, no. It kind of was, like, sad, because he, it's like he doesn't really have anyone. And new media is a bitch, so there's that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love episode four. I love that, you know, I guess no one would ever, I guess you can consider this uh, technical boys, quote unquote, coming to America scene. Um, And I loved it, how it started with the whole like Atari-esque video game. And then it's like, go, and it's uh, correlating with the, um, whatever that thing was called. Oh, my God, I was just talking about it uh, to Paulie last night, you know, where he's doing the music and it's, like, you know, keeping track of the rhythm and shit like that. But anyway, you know. The metronome? Yes, yes, the metronome. And kind of, like, you know, the Atari's going back and forth just like the metronome is going back and forth. And uh, the father really kind of – I think that the son – 
like got it in that moment when the father was telling him that this is how they pray. If you listen, you know, he was so sad, but look how beautiful it was. I think they were listening to Beethoven. Um, and when he did the program, and I, that scene broke me, Brittany, when the father was so overjoyed that his son had made something, and then you find out that it was just the computer. And then the son is so, like, enamored because he's like, look, it, it's still writing music. And the father was just like, but that's not you. It's the computer. And then you see the father's funeral. And I, you know, and then all of a sudden you see Technical Boy kind of manifesting. And then I love that you even see everyone in the church, their feet are tapping to the beat as if they're almost hearing it too. And you see him manifest Technical Boy. And then obviously when Technical Boy says that he has a friend in Silicon Valley who owes him and he goes to see uh, Mr. Z, I believe, CEO. Um, and at first it seems like, you know, the whole, their whole interaction where it's like, hello, friend. And he's like, hello, friend. Time to get back in the game. And it's like, oh, you think like this is uh, Tech Boy's redemption after his whole, you know, aiding of killing of Argus. But no. Oh. And as you said, oh, that scene just breaks my heart where he's like, hello, friend. He's like, I was literally your only friend. And you can imagine that, that this kid, you know, he even mentions it later where he says that he chose work um, over family. And, uh, and so obviously that tech boy probably was his only friend. And for him to have forgotten him, and Mr. World says, you know, it seems that he's forgotten you. And where he's like, and Tech Boy goes, oh, that's a big mistake. And as he's running, and then all of a sudden you see everything starting to shut down. You're like, oh, oh, this is like an ambush. They did it on purpose. Like, okay, show us where this guy is, and then we're going to have new media take over pretty much. And when he, like, rounds the corner and he sees that little, you know, device, and he's like, oh, fuck. And then it just, like, (laughs) and it just grabs him, and it's like, and then you see it, like, shut down. Oh, my God, that broke me. Like, Brittany knows. Like, I was so upset over that. I was like, is this the last we're seeing of this little shithead? I'm so upset right now. Um, yeah. You know, but that. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was uh, sorry to interrupt it. It's just, like, I think I just realized something. I think I just hit an epiphany. I don't think it was about new media taking over. Is that I sat there the whole time, and I was like, well, what were they planning all along? I think what it was is that Technical Boy was trying to get him to jumpstart technology, basically to figure out a way to make him better. But I think when Mr. World walks up and he's like, oh, I've never seen someone do so well at like arguing their own obsolation, I think he was just trying to retire Technical Boy to make Quantum Boy. I think that was the intentions all along, was to basically get rid of the old version of him and force him into a new start, while Technical Boy is himself, you know, kind of like new media. It's not exactly what you want. And it's like Technical Boy's been Technical Boy for a while. You know, he may have grown stagnant, just like how people feel like, oh, what more technological advances can we do by now? You know, we were kind of hitting a point. So I think he was trying to retire Technical Boy, not to get rid of him permanently, but to basically 
hit the CEO into making Quantum Boy by jump-starting technology, kind of like how they did in the past. But I don't think that's what Technical Boy exactly wanted. I think he was basically wanting to stay himself, but basically still make that jump start in some other fashion, maybe making a different version. And that's why I'm like, oh, okay, that makes a little more sense. Because remember how I said I was very confused by that scene? Because I was like, that Quantum Boy's back. So what's going on here? Well, so I'm sorry, I, mean, that, I think that was the epiphany I was hitting. And it's fine. It's just like we had media, right? And then we had, and then we had new media. And I do understand how they made that uh, transformation because if you think about it, people don't really watch the news anymore. And anytime they really see something on the news, they say, especially in right now today's day and age, what's the biggest tagline? Hashtag fake news. Um, so people aren't trusting what they're seeing on TV anymore, which is very much what media. Uh, Gillian Anderson's version was, you know, the whole uh, propaganda influence of of television, pretty much. But now we are transitioning where people are influenced by what they see online, not so much in media outlets, but on Instagram with influencers, Twitter, stuff like that, YouTube. That's very much what new media is all about. And we get it from Tech Boys saying to new media, like, Media didn't die. She just transformed into you. So technically, Tech Boy didn't die. He just transformed into Quantum Boy. Because as you said, what more technological advances can we make? Well, now we're switching into quantum physics, quantum technology. By the way, guys, I am not this smart. My boyfriend told me all of this because he's into stuff like that. So uh, there's my little sounding smart for the day. But, yeah, so... um, I think that's where Quantum Boy becomes prevalent. But obviously when we first watched uh, episode four, we didn't know that that was the plan that they had. We just thought that Mr. World had maybe found that Tech Boy was becoming too uh, disobedient and thought that, you know, since he has new media who is very much following his orders, that he can just kind of use new media since, even new media said in the episode previous to that, aren't we a little redundant? Um, Which then you can say is the reason why they need Quantum Boy, because it's like we don't need Technical Boy. We have new media, and that is a little redundant, but we need Technical Boy to become the next phase of himself. Uh, So, yeah, I think that's it. Um, But it'll be interesting, because I really like where they went with Technical Boy. I, he really grew on me from season one. So I am going to kind of miss a little bit of that attitude in season three. I'm just wondering how they're going to utilize him because we've already seen that Bruce Langley does tech boy perfectly um, in being a little shithead. And if we're not going to have that little shithead around anymore, it's going to be a little strange. But yeah. Say, uh, we don't want to be but, dull. We, we need him to be a little... We need him to be a little shit. Exactly, exactly. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go in season three, but I will trust them right now because I am happy that he came back in the first place. Um, And then instead, uh, I felt even though he was very, like, monotones and almost robotic in a way, 
he still was like salty because you know before he was like as tech boy he's like hello friends the ceo and now it was like oh you're messy and full of veins and you know what do you think it's like touching a god okay well now i'm going to make it and hey now you get to discover that we were just using you to hack into databases and shit and you aren't doing good work really you're helping us create fear and panic and pandemonium throughout the nation so he is, I feel like that was a little bit of him being salty. One salty boy. <laughs> uh, but all right, let's uh, move on. I'm going to hit number three, and we're going to get into the real, uh, the real big ones. Uh, I am going to pick New Orleans as my yes. So, first of all, so mad that they did not like announce this casting earlier but when I saw little rumors online that Mustafa Shakir aka Bushmaster from Luke Cage season two might be in the second season of American Gods I was like where's the confirmation for this because I need to know now uh, <laughs> and obviously we saw that he uh, was there as uh, Baron Samadhi Samadhi <laughs> who is a uh, pretty much Haitian voodoo god, or as they call it, a loa, um, a death god, pretty much. And his wife, Maman Brigitte, who um, just are two uh, heavy-drinking sexual people, you know? Uh, and I just love the encompass of New Orleans that they are. I thought they played them amazingly. And then so we have Sweeney, which I love that they're friends. I'm like, I need a whole show of Sweeney obviously meeting them and hanging out in New Orleans because I feel like he was party hardying. Um, but that was awesome. And then he brings Laura there, obviously, because he knows that they can help do something. And that whole scene, because it went from them uh like happy and like friendly and almost everything being like haha and then i think when sweeney realized that okay they were going to have to get into the seriousness of it which he asked laura earlier in the series like you know what are you willing to do for it and he uh gets taken away by maman brigitte who and then he he looks worried back at laura but he knows that he has to kind of leave them alone uh, in order to kind of do what they do. And then obviously, that scene, Brittany, that <laughs> scene, uh, if us uh, people who ship Matt Sweeney and Laura Moon thought that we may never get anything, the, the producers of American Gods were like, here you go. We will feed you fan now. And service. It, it was such a fan service. Everything about that was a fan service. You know, uh, Samadhi talking to Laura and kind of like teasing her a little like oh poor Laura Moon doesn't know what she wants you know doesn't know this blah 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 and then Maman uh, Brigitte telling you know Sweeney like oh you like the dead girl that's why you can't you know even look at me like that and he's like fuck you I don't love her blah 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 and she just like slaps the shit out of him and that's when like everything starts going at that moment and it's just like this crazy scene you get the two of them just going at it you know both Samadhi and Laura and Sweeney and Brigitte 
And then all of a sudden it becomes very like voodoo-esque and smoky. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Laura and Sweeney, everything Scandal. we ever wanted. <laughs> everything we ever wanted. Um, yeah. Oh, that scene was insane. Um, I was like, oh, my God, they're actually doing it. They're actually doing this. I never thought that they would actually do this for us fans. And (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It was just, like, crazy. Um, And it's funny that they even did that because in, what was it, episode two, when Sweeney and Laura were going through the horde, someone had paused it. And you could even pause it. This wasn't someone, like, just putting it in. If you go back and pause it at certain moments, they actually do have those like shadowy moments where Laura and Sweeney are looking at each other. So the fact that they teased that in episode two and then had it in episode five was just crazy to me. But yeah, I absolutely love the whole New Orleans thing. Uh, kudos to Mustafa Shakir and the actress who played Brigitte, they were both amazing. And, yeah, I mean, us mad wife shippers, we got what we wanted. Obviously, then we were very sad at the end of the episode when Laura pretty much told Sweeney to go F off. But uh, we can just live in that moment. So, Brittany, tell us about <laughs> your thoughts on uh, on the whole New Orleans trip. <laughs> I was going to say, we have discussed this in, like, detail of how much we love that scene. But it's, like, it's because it's, like, it's, like, finally, like, wishing for something and getting what you want. Like, the ultimate Christmas. <laughs> the ultimate, like, uh, everything you ever wanted. Which, speaking of that scene, is that you always see Pablo, like, on his Instagram working out, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, Sweeney's a really big guy, and, you know, you see him in the wife beater, but when you see him in that scene, you're like, oh, you, you've really been uh, working out. You've really been uh, trying hard at this. But, He's, uh, like, inhuman. I, I'm telling you right now, he doesn't exist. He somehow was made in a factory. I'm convinced at it. <laughs> But no, I I love it because uh I love the Baron because uh, at first I because whenever you said it because you know it's like I I didn't really get to see Bushmaster but I knew you loved him and so that's why I was so excited when it was like oh he's the Baron and you were like freaking out and I was like oh he's gonna be good what's he gonna be like and meeting him it was so like playful and fun and it was like I love Laura being actually able to taste food there because they're all basically dead and they're just living it up to have like some semblance of like you know feeling like something like how you said like the spiced rum and all that but I just like it's just like her so like she was like really into eating like it was like the best thing she'd ever seen and to actually be able to feel something it's like you could see how almost like addicted to it she was because you think oh how so bad about like not feeling anything and you're like does she actually miss it and it's like yeah she misses it a lot but no I love the Sweeney part because it's like I love how like mad she is with them and I know like later on you're like oh you know they did the ghost you know, basically the shadowing, the sh- the voodoo screwing, basically. I don't know how to say, like, <laughs> oh, they were basically, like, doing it, but were they actually doing it? Were they mind doing it? And then, like, later on in the series, we see what details shadow, and he's like, oh, you know, in lesser words, you know, <laughs> I screwed your wife. And you're like, 
Oh, yep. Everybody accepts it. Everybody's good with it. I just hate that Laura was so mad with them because it's like, I don't know if she was more salty that the potion she needed to come back alive with, like, needed blood of someone, like, that loves her and she was panicking over that like feeling and love but i feel like the whole scene was her running off i was like really really well, you're just gonna you're just gonna do that well i think my thing was that you know sweeney said like hey i have a friend in new orleans and you know you're gonna have to do something that maybe you don't want to do but it's going to you know help you out and then when you see like what the Baron said was that he needed truth from her. Um, and then obviously they ended up fucking. And I think that when she woke up and it's like, okay, well, you didn't actually bring me back to life. You just gave me a potion, which I still have to now complete. So it's not even done. I think to her, she felt, you know, cause if you think about it, Laura is always being, you know, looked down upon and insulted for, you know, what she did when shadow was in prison And so to her, I think she felt like it was maybe another humiliation, like, oh, you just brought me down here to not only fuck this guy, but now we kind of fuck, you know, was that it? Was, you know, this all part of Wednesday's big plan just to make a fool of me? Because this was after Wednesday, you know, pretty much told Laura, like, oh, yeah, you'll you'll screw anything or something like that, you know? So I feel like maybe that was part of the reason why she was so pissed at Sweeney but yeah I mean I I was upset because I was like you know they're as he said they're death gods you know they fuck around with people and you know I think I told you I was like reading all this shit on them and it's like they specifically eat really spicy food and they like mess with their private parts you know because they think it's funny and they're dead and what's it going to do to them you know so I think it's like he was like no that's not me. I wasn't bringing you here intentionally just to like make a fool of you. I made, I brought you here because I really thought that they would be able to help you, which I mean, the Baron did give her a potion. She just needs to complete it. I'm just like, I know we're about to get into the later stuff, but I'm like, <laughs> Pablo, what's your plans? I, I, are you here for season three? Are you not? Uh... Are you just like, it makes me so like, oh, but I do have to say before we move on, um, again, other characters that I want to see again in season three, the Baron and Maman, because they were great. They had such good chemistry with each other. I love how, as you said, the Baron was so playful. Uh, where he's like, oh, shit. He's like, man, sweetie. <laughs> like, I, I just loved it. I thought like, man, if we can get, Mustafa Shakir on American God season three, I'd be very happy. Um, which kudos for him. He just got casted in Netflix's live action series for Cowboy Bebop. So yeah, I mean we you didn't, I didn't know hear that? about the Cowboy I didn't hear about the Cowboy Bebop. I freaking love Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> okay, so Netflix is doing a live action series for Cowboy Bebop and he got cast as one of the characters. You know what? This is the best day ever. We're talking about American Gods, Cowboy Bebop. It's it's a good day. It's a good day. Um, all right. So yeah, we are getting into the last two. Brittany, what I want to hear? What do we got for number two? I'm gonna say well, I'm I'm like gonna leave. This is number two, right? 
because I'm going to leave number one for you and what I think you'll choose for it, whether or not it be that. Um, I love the final scene, like the very last episode with everybody where you're like, oh, where the news is changing and everybody's like, oh, yeah, these are the two suspects. They killed people. And so he was like, you killed cops and like just panicking <laughs> and Evis and Mr. Nancy are just like playing their game of chess. They're just doing everything and they're just chill because what do they have to worry about anything? And they're not worried about anything. They're just gods playing a game of chess and how, you know, uh, Shadow's like, Oh, I'm not, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Like he's kind of like hitting his full realization moment with like, Odin feeling very used and you're just like yeah that's what Sweeney was trying to tell you which I love that Sweeney's death affected him so much because if you think about it that's the first time really truly being responsible for taking a life besides like the children yeah which that sounds awful too but you know those little (laughs) messed up guys so when he's just sitting there and everything's going on and the tree grabs him and you know he hacks into the tree, and then suddenly the news changes. It's like, hey, you know, we lost suspects. And, like, at, you know, and he's the kid, and he's sweeping away the soldiers. I was like, this is such a cool scene. And, like, the djinn just wanting to take care of Selene when he was like, oh, you know, I don't regret any of this. You know, you taught me how to love. And I was like, oh, it's so sweet. Oh, my God. I love it. I love that Celine's reaction to everything. He's like, oh, my God. Ah! And Mr. Ivis is like, young man, do you hear yourself? He's like, yes, I'm hearing myself. I don't like what I hear myself saying. So, I was like, he's like, I, do, I don't like this either. Poor Celine was having an existential crisis. And it's like, oh. We did not mention Sleem at all this show. But I know, just... I felt bad because I was just like, that's why I kind of wanted to bring up the scene because I was just like, poor Sleem, you know, I'm not trying to leave you out with the gin and everything. There was just so many good scenes. I know. I particularly loved in that episode um, him buying liquor and he's never bought liquor before because, you know, he um, adheres to, uh, you know, his Islamic religion, which, you know, uh, prevents the consumption of alcohol, so he's never bought it before. But he he does it because his friend just died. And the fact that he calls Matsuini his friend, when Matsuini was so insulting to him all the time, and you know just calling him a fairy and other you know vulgar yeah, like words. such demeaning things. I mean, but he still decides to buy it. I'm like. Bless your heart, Salim. Bless your heart. And then when he sees himself on the news, he's like, what? Now I'm wanted? Um, oh, my God. That was so great. And it's like, I'm telling you, and I have to be honest, because I feel bad. But I, I always feel bad when I say things like this, because it's nothing against the actor. But I really didn't like new media, really, at all during this. Oh, I know. I didn't either. Like, at first, I was like, okay, she's kind of fun and stuff, but... <laughs> You heard our technical boy. We can't have that. <laughs> exactly. But then you get to see, like, oh, this is really her purpose. She's creating this panic and fear. And she did it quite well. I love that they, they showed as she was speaking, the news reporter speaking, um, how she's really manipulating what was going on. Um, that I, Yeah, that was done perfectly. Uh, and Thank as you, you said... 
And then, as you said, and Nancy and Ivis are just playing chess as Celine's freaking out. And I loved uh, the gin, you know, Celine telling him, like, I don't regret anything or blah, blah, blah. And they have that really sweet kiss going on. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys, hashtag goals, goals, goals. Hashtag goals. Um, but, yeah, I, I love that. And I loved uh, – and we have to talk about really quick that Shadow getting caught – into the tree and kind of making the connection that spoiler alert Odin is his father which is yeah. something that, which is something that doesn't get touched upon in the book until pretty much the end so the fact that they're bringing in this early on is pretty crazy but yeah i i loved that how uh, he swiped away the soldiers and then there was no longer really that threat and I love at the end when he is on the bus and the bus gets pulled over and you think, oh, is this going to be bad? But then the, the ID says Mike Ansel, which, again, is his, uh, you know, fake name in the book when he goes to Lakeside. So that's obviously what they're teasing for him for season three. And I really enjoyed that. I really, I, I really liked the last episode, even though as we spoke about off, uh, I wanted to say off camera, but we're not on camera off voice recording yeah off voice recording you know we talked about how uh you know it did move very fast and we could have used like three more hours of content but the whole fear and panic and again pandemonium I really liked because everyone was afraid especially Celine poor Celine I, I do hope I know that- I do hope that in the next, I know, I hope the next season they give him a freaking break. But, I mean, he kind of did get a little bit of validation, I want to say, from the gin, because it seems like prior to that he was kind of hanging on the gin, and even though uh, the gin was keeping him around, they, you know, had a little bit of an argument on, you know, values and views, and it maybe seemed like the gin was trying to push him away at some point. But then they share that kiss and they go away with each other and we see that, you know, the gin does, in fact, care for Celine. So that was very nice. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to say that's a great uh, number two. I am going to take the number one spot. Brittany, you ready for this? And, of course, no, just I'm ready. I, and of course, just as I say that, we have the lovely background uh, sounds of the cop. And some guy uh, blasting reggaeton. So thank you, everyone, while I'm trying to do my show here. <laughs> Very yeah, much give me a break. Oh, my God. Never, never, never. But uh, really quick, I'm going to do the countdown of our list before I say my number one. So number 10, we had Laura killing Argus. Number nine, we had the diner shootout scene. Number eight was Telephone Boy Enamored with Miss Columbia. Uh, number seven was the dwarf Devalin <laughs> repairing gum mirror. Number six was uh, Sweeney's awful luck, is what I wrote down. Um, <laughs> five, five was uh, Donar and Anansi's bonding moment. Number four was Tech Boy's background story with the CEO. Number three was the events in New Orleans. And number two, I put down as new media manipulating the news. And then obviously everything that occurred from that which I really loved it really actually 
you know, brought me into maybe liking new media a little more than I did. So, um, yeah. She just kind of seemed ready at first. Uh, you know, I just, she messed with my technical boy. I didn't like that. And I did kind of <laughs> miss, I did kind of miss the uh, the dynamic of media and Mr. World essentially being parents to technical boy. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and mope around. Gillian Anderson decided to uh, walk away from American Gods, as did the actress who played Easter. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and blame anyone. Or not blame. That sounds very harsh. You know, actors have the choice to walk away if they want to. But um, not I'm not going to sit against here. Huh? Not hold it against her. I'm not going to hold it against her, and I'm not going to hold it against uh, Kayun Kim, who plays New Media, because, you know, she's in an awesome show, so good for her. But anyway, uh, number one is Mad Sweeney's backstory. Um, and obviously uh-huh. we'll talk about other, th- other things. But uh, I love this. I loved it. You know, we find... And I always say this in number it not number one, wow. In season one we had a prayer for Matt Sweeney, right? And but there really wasn't Sweeney in it. It just focused on Essie McGowan. But this season for episode seven, um, we had a true backstory for Matt Sweeney. I absolutely loved how this whole entire episode was done where it was like Sweeney piecing together the memories of his past and the transformations that he himself went through, right? And how the other gods, like Ibis and Zilquist, which I never thought that I needed an interaction between Sweeney and Zilquist, but I needed it. Um, Just his whole backstory of, you know, first, you know, we see he was a god-king, who his wife, you know, urges him to kind of accept the gray monks onto their land, which we find out um, if you look up our kind of a division of Catholicism that made it their mission to essentially bring Catholicism in not a very nice way to other lands. So we see her, though, urging him to reconsider, but he does not want this into his land and that obviously causes him to walk away from it. We see him walking away from battle, him going mad, um, that scene where his wife and child, you know, go to him in the forest and it seems like they're having that nice moment before he kind of succumbs into madness and shoes them away. Uh, was very sad to me um, because, you know, he's almost remembering in the present time that he even had a wife. And then we see, um, and I, first of all, like, in in the book, Matt Sweeney has very little scenes, right? He dies right away. And he's just based on the Irish folklore of the Mad King who went crazy. And I'm not even going to attempt attempt to pronounce that name. It's like, blah, 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 you know, whatever. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing because I'm like, I, I know that feel. Yeah, I'm not even going to attempt it. But at that one moment when Ibis kind of reveals to Sweeney that he was something even before then, he was love, which, again, is no correlation in folklore of the two. They kind of combine the two um, to each other. You know, this, like, Celtic warrior who was a descendant of the god of luck and fortune and the 
sun, which is why he always says, like, the sun's treasure. And you have that awesome warrior scene where, like, you know, he's just fighting against all of these other warriors and shit like that. And it was so well done. And I love the costumes. I love the choreography. I thought that was great to see him in his prime because we see that Sweeney is not that anymore. He at this point is a quote unquote leprechaun because that's what, you know, the church and the cookie companies made him and he's very much not himself. And then we see that at one point he was glorious. He was uh, defending his land and defending his people against intruders. Um, And then we have that very awesome scene where he's slowly realizing maybe why he's been indebted to Mr. Wednesday this whole time, because I truly feel that uh, while he says that he owes him, that maybe he doesn't even remember why he owes him. And then we see that, that the Norse religion was invading his lands and he was fighting against them, you know? So I thought that was really awesome. Just like all these realizations. And we see that warrior in Sweeney come out again um, which, you know, ultimately led to the scene where he fought against Shadow to try to kill Wednesday. Um, and Shadow does that really stupid, I talk about it with Kelly, that really stupid move. Like, yes, turn around with those pointy effing spear as someone behind you is tripping and falling forward. That's a great idea, right? Um And obviously I'll let you, Brittany, talk about more of it in a second, but I just wanted to comment really quick that the show did a really good job of uh, doing that episode and keeping people on their toes because we first see Sweeney under a bridge asking Shadow for $20 and very much in a bad place. And you think, wow, is this going to go the way the book goes? And then when he gives the $20 to Mr. Ibis and you think, oh, you know, it's not going to go the way the book was, and it didn't. You know, Sweeney didn't drink himself to death. Um, and I just loved, even though he was impaled by Gungnir, that he made it go to the horde. And he goes to Mr. Wednesday, your spear is the sun's treasure now. Because he knew how much Mr. Wednesday needed that spear to help him win the war. And he died, but he may have died a badass. So. Uh, that is going to be my scene. I guess it's pretty much the whole entire episode, but mostly the backstory. I love the backstory there. Um, so I will stop talking and let you talk, Brittany. <laughs> no, you're fine. You, you know, I, I was just like, I was just enjoying hearing it because I just, that scene, all of it was amazing. But when we watched the episode, and I was just like, and what was bad is I almost didn't watch it right away because I was just like, oh, you know, I'm not ready for all of this because all I was thinking about is like the twenty dollars he asked for. Which let's talk about it's like one he was upset about his coin, but more than anything he was upset about Laura and it was like, oh, you know, he's acted like such a hard ass this entire time. He's acted this way, he's acted that way, and it's like, no, it just comes back to he loved her. And, yeah, you know, and the fact like, that, and, and sorry, not to interrupt, but not only did Laura leave, but the fact that Laura in her mind thinks that Sweeney had, you know, bad intentions while bringing her to New Orleans, I think that also may have been eating him up. And it's like that was kind of like the final thing they said together. And it's like, 
he has such guilt because he is the reason she's dead, even though Odin technically is the reason she's dead. But him just, like, uh, you said when he, like, asked for the 20 bucks, and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And then when it's, like, going through the backstory, and it is, like, this such a great moment whenever he, um, like, gives the $20 back to Edith, and he's like, oh, you know, for drinking all your beer. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It was very, like, redemption for him. And I think that's, like, the whole show is him wanting to redeem himself, especially for having killed Laura and just, like, trying to make it up. Because, yeah, he wants his coin back, but he also is like, oh, I can bring her back to life. Even though who knows what kind of life she would have out there, it is still his guilt. He's still, as he yells in Gaelic, I'm not a bad man. Which is super, super sad, too. Well, if anyone sits there and thinks that Sweeney is only doing this to get his coin back, please remember that in season one, he had a chance to get his coin back, and he decided to put the coin back into Laura. So, yeah, just pointing it out there. But it's just like, you know, when he's sitting there hearing the story, because I'm trying to remember what that race was called, because uh, when I was looking at all of it, which, you know, I still was, technically right on that big spiel I told you about like what race of people he was from like you know I said like oh the Gaelic gods and goddesses were like basically their own race separated from humans but I got the wrong person for him but and that was the thing is that they were supposed to their enemy was those like blue people and he's like oh you know you had to kill your father you know your grandfather and he's like, no, he loved me. Because that's the thing in there was he was a one-eyed beast. Remember I said, I was like, that's weird, that parallel to Odin. You know what I mean? Like, the one eye. And then you see it, it's like, he's like, oh, you know, I wouldn't kill him. He loved me. He raised me. And then you're like, oh, it's Odin. And you're like, that was his entire, like, purpose. You almost feel like was to get rid of Odin. And it's like felt like such an indebt to him and it's like oh you were always my battle and I'm I, like oh. uh, when he said that to Wednesday because Wednesday was like I would have given you your battle and he was like you were always my battle like it was such a good scene I loved um, even Sweeney talking to Shadow because as we mentioned earlier he tells Shadow you know we're not the heroes here and he says don't get in my way when the time comes and it's like all of this is showing that Sweeney is not going to accept Mr. Wednesday disrespecting him anymore. Because then he says later, he goes, oh, well, where's my chair? Seemingly. Up. And again, precious Salim tries to get up and offer him a seat. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, oh, well, you're eating, you know, their food. You know what they say about eating a fairy's food, you know, like you're indebted to them pretty much. Um, and I just love everything about it. Sweeney is just like, enough, enough. I am not going to be your little bitch anymore. I'm not going to be indebted to you anymore. Like, you're an evil person and you have bad intentions for everyone. And I'm going to at least try to go out swinging, you know? Um, I just love that he flips him off. (laughs) I love that. It was very true to character for Sweeney. It was very perfect for Sweeney. Just like, again, he disappears the sphere. It's the sun's treasure now. And he flips off Wednesday as he falls down. And he says, you know, I was a king. And it's like, 
it makes you think that, like, you know, Sweeney, um, you know, maybe Sweeney even came before Odin, and he was a big deal, and he was a strong god. Um, and it's unfortunate where his, you know, legacy has kind of dwindled down to. But I loved his interactions with everyone. I loved his interactions with Silquist, with Ibis. I loved earlier when he's talking to Selim and he's telling Selim, like, it was a genuine where he's like, you know, why are you with the djinn? Because you only have about 80 years on this life and that guy is immortal and you're really going to spend all your years with this? Like, you can leave and you can have a life. Like, and again, for as insulting as Sweeney was to Selim, I felt like that was a very sincere moment. Um, you know what? So what gets me about that scene? It's like oh, I had it in my head. I hope I don't forget it. Wait, it was not. Oh, everybody seems to know who the hell he is. All the other gods, but it's like, oh, nobody cares to tell him because they almost need him to be. Because it's like Bilquist seems to know. Odin knows who he is because he killed a version of him. You know, it's like I'm like I am like. It makes me frustrated with all of them. I'm like, you just let him think he was a leprechaun and stay like Odin's pawn this entire time. <laughs> Y'all aren't bros. You were Cause the I feel like, Because I feel like, especially on Wednesday's part, if they would have let Sweeney know who he was, then he would have been a big threat because I think in a sense that maybe he was more powerful than Wednesday even was, you know, because he was a warrior. Um, as much as Wednesday is the god of war, was he a warrior himself, or did he just let others fight for him? And But Sweeney was the one who was actually getting his hands dirty. So I think that if Sweeney had known who he actually was, that that would have posed a threat to Wednesday. And he needed him to be unaware and ignorant. Um, and I, oh my god, I loved that Sweeney went out telling Shadow, I killed your wife because Wednesday ordered me to. And by the way, just to let you know, I screwed her as well in New Orleans. I was like, man. I know. know. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if anybody had a doubt, if they actually did it and counted it, even though it was, like, (laughs) you know, all smoky, let Sweeney be the one to tell them. He's like, yeah, I did her. I did this. (laughs) Yeah, that, um, Oh, God, that that episode broke me. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to survive after this episode. Um, but Brittany, we have about ten minutes left. Maybe we can talk really quick about what we are hoping for season three and what we're wanting to see in season three. Besides the obvious, Sweeney coming back to life. <laughs> I think she ran off with his body. They they have to tie up that loose end. I mean, really. I know. <laughs> oh, like, please, someone. Um, okay, I'm trying to think. Well, obviously we want more. I, I just want Quantum Boy to be a little more playful, maybe not so deadpan. We, we, need, we need old technical boy back. And whether or not he's still a version of them, it's still hanging around in that box somewhere. Where he's like, oh, I'll help the old gods. But I'm just trying to think. I just, I want to see more old gods. I want to see more new gods. I want to see more new gods, especially because I'm sitting there thinking, oh, you know, we're going to see new gods. And we got like one. We got new media. 
And I'm like, well, and that, but. And that's very true because there's a plethora of old gods that only seems to be like three new gods running the show. And and I know I keep saying in the book, but, you know, it's it's based off the book. And they are really trying to now kind of be a little truer to it. Um, in the book, there's not just one god of certain things, right? There's like a group. There's like a group of the technical boys. There's a group of the medias, you know, like there's a group of them. So it's like, I'm really hoping. And then, you know, there wasn't just Mr. Town. There was Mr. Town. There was Mr. Wood. There was Mr. Forgot what the other freaking one was, but the spooks, you know, and we didn't really see that this, this season. So hopefully we'll see more of that next season with the new gods having kind of put their, you know, stake in and created this, little pandemonium, um, which I found to be much more of a threat than the way season one ended with the spring being uh, taken away. But um, as far as what I'd like to see, I'd like to see what the hell is going on with Bill Quist now uh, using Christianity to get her own brand of worship. I mean, is she still sucking people into the vagina nebula or is she just now... uh, satisfied with the way she's doing things, you know, because she said that she has to adapt. So I am interested in seeing that. Um, seeing, I was very um, confused by all that. I was like, is she, is she making religion <laughs> sexy? Like, what is, what is she doing? I feel like this is almost a little, like, blasphemous, but I'm like, what the hell's going on? Well, that's the thing about American Gods, Brittany, and I've done it, you know, as uh you know, a Catholic, um, you have to put that kind of aside and not become like, say, offended, which I'm not saying that you are, but, you know, it's like, you have to just kind of like, it's a story, you know, I'm not going to sit there and be like, how dare she use Christianity to her advantage? I'm like, oh, that's kind of hilarious that she's doing it, but I'm just still wondering, like, what's the end goal for her? Is she still going to need to, uh, take in the people the way that she has, or is this like a new form of feeding herself pretty much? But, um, and that's I what I was like, I'm not like offended. I'm just like, it does make you like, I think that's like the point of all of it is to just make you delightfully uncomfortable just a little bit where you're like, where you're like, yeah, I see it from like a story standpoint, but you're still like cringing ever so slightly because you're like, because you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, and I obviously want to see uh, Shadow in Lakeside. I definitely want to see more of the Jin and Selim. I'm curious for the Jin's like place now because in a way he's almost seeming like the new Mad Sweeney, you know, also indebted to Odin, but also, you know, aware that Odin is an asshole and um, you know, being a little bit resi- resistant to what some of the things that Odin has to say, so that'll be interesting. Um yeah, I'm just really excited for season three. I hate that we have to wait so long. I'm like, oh, God, at least make it only one year and not two years, like how they did in between season one and two, which I don't think will happen because we do have a showrunner who's working really close with Neil Gaiman, and they've already set out a plan of what they expect to happen in season three. So I think that we'll be on a much quicker uh, timeline pretty much. 
Um, oh, yeah. goodness, that you said we were like the showrunner was Walking Dead, and I was like, and then, and then, if ring starts to fail, we just throw Negan in, and trust me, I've used it before, it worked. No, listen, not even, not even, not even Negan can, uh, can save the Walking Dead right now, but, (laughs) (laughs) I know, it hurts, (laughs) but, um, if he's so familiar with being on a show about zombies, hopefully that means more Sweeney and Laura Moon, right? (laughs) Right, 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 (laughs) uh, but, Brittany, as always, this has been super fun. Um, I enjoy speaking about American Gods with you. Um, doing this show, I think that we covered a lot of ground. Um, and we just love American Gods, and we're excited for the next season. So, Brittany, please tell everyone what uh, what and where we can expect from you. <laughs> oh, what and where? I was like, what, what? No, uh, if you ever need to find me, and uh, both Instagram and Twitter are the same at Brittany underscore Hegel. I always spell the last name because sometimes it's hard to find. It is H E I G L E. And I had an amazing time with you, Tia. You know, I always love talking American Gods with you, even if it's in our free time. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, this isn't just for uh, the show, we do this on a regular basis. So uh, I you know, I'm uh, a contributor to uh, gvnation.com where you can find many of my articles. I do this top 10 every Sunday. Um, last week we did the top 10 iZombie moments. Obviously, this was American God season two, and we have more uh, coming up in the weeks to come. But yeah, please find me on Twitter um, at tc underscore start uh, for more content. But yeah. Brittany, enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.